you have a Bible this morning, turn that Bible to the book of Ephesians. We'll be in chapter number 3 as a text. <clears throat> and Isaac, just to confess, I, my lack of faith caused me to postpone a vision Sunday to next Sunday because I honestly thought our folks wouldn't show up today. And so you blew that to smithereens. Uh, praise the Lord. Thank you for being here. Next week, I will share with you what God has laid on my heart, laying on my heart for what I believe he wants to do in and through Hope Baptist Church. So I hope you'll be part of it next, next Sunday. In the month of uh, January, I've called it Family Month. And the rationale behind that thought is to bring the 9 o'clock service family to the 10.30 service family and have them meet each other. Oh, I don't know you. I want, the, I want us to become one family. And uh, so I am, I've used that thought, that concept, to uh, bring some messages on the family. Today, the family's beginnings. Let me read for you just a few verses in Ephesians 3 beginning in Ephesians 3, 1, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, verse number 6, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Verse 10, to the intent, in other words, everything I've said thus far is to the intent that now under the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. Verse 14. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom, notice, the whole family in heaven and earth is named. I'm going to bring what God has done to my heart about the family, how it started, and what God has a plan for. And I want to draw your attention to this little phrase here in verse 10, to the intent that now under the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. Now, you might not have grasped it because, quite frankly, I didn't grasp it. All of a sudden, just like taking a, a dimmer switch and slowly turning that on, God began revealing to me a truth here that was just, just shook me that I want to share with you this morning here on this January 1. Let's pray and ask God to speak to our hearts this morning. Thank you, Lord, for your love. Thank you for speaking to us already through these songs that we've sung, and I trust that your heart has been uh, lightened. And I pray, Lord, that you will be glorified today. Lord, quite frankly, we need you. We finished this past year having relied on you frequently. And this year is going to be no different. We need you once again. So, Holy Spirit of God, would you settle upon us right now? And would you do that work in us that we need? And I pray, Lord, that you will be glorified throughout it all, for we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. The family's beginnings, well, beginnings takes us all the way back to the beginning, back in Genesis. And so I want to, if you want to follow along in your Bibles, you may. I'm going to start back in Genesis chapter 1, a very fitting place to go. In Genesis 1, verse 27, So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him, male and female, created he them. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. The family, we're going to find out, was created perfectly. No mistakes. God said, I've done it, and it's good. Look at this incredible world that I created. It's good. Look at the animals, the birds. It's good. And then he created man and woman. Look, it's good. It's a good thing. It's perfect. God created the family perfectly. 
Why? For his own glory. There are blessings of his creation in these verses. First of all, blessing number one, we were created in God's image. Think about that for a moment. Talk about a blessing. We, you and I, created in the very image of God. It says we're blessed of the Lord. It says, and God blessed them, or we receive the blessings of the Lord. And which one of us cannot testify to God's goodness? The person here in this audience that has the greatest number of trials today can still testify that God's a good God. You say, oh, Pastor Aller, I've got all these problems. What you have, if you've trusted Jesus Christ, is an eternity problem-free. An eternity in the presence of God. An eternity with no sorrows. Blessings in heaven forever and ever. I'd say the blessings you have far outweigh the temporal problems of today. We have a great God. It says they were commanded to be fruitful and multiply. And they were told to have dominion or rule over all the living creatures. These are blessings of His creation. There's a bonding, I see, in His creation. In Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, It's not good that the man should be alone. Isn't God perceptive? We men don't handle being alone very well. We don't like it when our wives are gone. Well, sure, maybe we can boil water, but we don't want to. Maybe we could, if we really wanted to, get the vacuum cleaner, but we don't want to. There's something about the need we have. Now, here's some confession, true confession. We men are the protectors at home. We provide the security in the home. But there's just something unnerving about being alone in the home when the wife's not there. All of a sudden, you hear all these creaks. And you go, what was that? We're the strong protectors. But God knew we wouldn't handle it long well being alone. God gave him a help meet. I will make him a help meet for him. Man needed a partner. And isn't it interesting that God never says that about woman? Man was the needy one. You know what? I created a man. Boy, he's in desperate need of a help. <laughs> Verse 24, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. A man, the Bible says, shall leave his folks and cleave to his wife. Why does it make an issue of that? Why does it make an issue saying that a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife because we men take a long time to grow up. That's why. Something about it, we like to stay little boys for a long time. Oh, we strut our chest and we say, we're a man, but we want mom to cook all of our food for us. We're a man's man, but we like mom making the bed for us. So when we get married... We get married, we have a hard time breaking those strings. I like mom's chili better. Those are not good words to say to your new wife, let me just tell you. The Bible says you need to mature, you need to grow up. Man, you need to grow up, you need to take responsibility. You need to be the one that does lead your home. So oftentimes in today's society, it's just the other way around. The woman, by default, has to take the leadership role because he's still a little boy at heart and wants to just play all the time. God says you need to mature. So the family was created perfectly. God didn't mess up. Created perfectly for God's glory. But it didn't take long for man to, the family to jump into sin, did it? And once they did, they reaped the consequences. In Genesis 3 and verse 6, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. 
What we see here is a losing battle with lust. We saw, we lusted, craved, and then we took. We saw, we lusted after it. You see, it was okay until she started looking at it. Now, 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 now she had seen it before, but just got it passing. But oh, once the serpent started talking about it, getting her thinking about it, then she started saying, you know what? The more I think about it, that is the most beautiful tree in the garden. Whoa. I know we can have all these other fruits, all these other trees, but there's just something about that one. Surely God wouldn't care that much, really. God wouldn't be offended greatly if we took of that one tree. And then, then when God showed up, notice the blame game. Verse 11. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldst not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. It's her fault. She's the one that tempted me. The Lord God said to the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the serpent turned to try to find somebody else and couldn't find anybody. God cursed him. We see here the family that was created so perfectly for God's glory. Didn't spend any time at all falling to the sin of lust. And then trying to find someone to blame for it. Sounds to me like things haven't changed a whole lot since the garden. Sounds to me like that's pretty much the MO for society today. Genesis 3, verse 14 and 15, The Lord God said to the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. Notice, God says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now, I'm not going to spend, though I could, an entire message on Genesis 3.15, but this is the most incredible, incredible prophet, prophetical look to a coming Redeemer, a coming Messiah, right at the very beginning of the Bible. But what we see here is God put a spirit of hatred. He calls it enmity, meaning hostility, hatred between the serpent and Eve. To this day, Women typically hate snakes. Now, I know that I could find some even in this room that I don't mind snakes. I play with snakes all the time. But that's unusual. In fact, if you agree to that, if you testify to that, we're going to look at you a little unusually. Because when a snake shows up, many women scream or run. And so do many men. <laughs> Let's be real about this. Also affected were the seed of the serpent and those of Eve's. The serpent's seed would include all evil spirits. Along with the wicked men, Eve's seed, hallelujah, would eventually be the Messiah. But also including her seed would be the church. It's going to be animosity. There's going to be hatred between Satan, the serpent's seed, and the seed of the woman. The devil and his seed hate you. They hate mankind. The devil and his seed hate them, Eve's seed in general, and will do whatever they can to destroy them. For some reason, the devil has us convinced that he really doesn't hate us that bad. This is not a big deal. We can cohabitate. Let's join hands and sing Kumbaya. Let's all be together. After all, it's okay. We're all sinners. God put enmity. Enmity. Hatred. Animosity. Between the serpent's seed and the woman's seed. Don't let him fool you. He's a deceiver. He hates you. He's a destroyer. He wants to completely devour you. But he shows up as angel light. 
Oh, the smile. Oh, those glistening white teeth. Oh, that speech that flows so sweetly over his lips. Oh, the deception of the front of the billboard, never wanting you to see the backside. Because of sin, the family very quickly fell into, God brought curses. They were individualized curses. First to the woman in Genesis 3.16. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. We're not told, but apparently there was more of a co-equality before the curse. God, God treated them both equally. They were, they were co-existers. But because of the fall, God says there's going to be sorrow in childbirth. I'm so glad I'm not a woman. I would not want to go through that. I was in the delivery room for all of our children, and I watched the excruciating trauma that my wife had to go through. I don't want to do that. But it also says the woman became subject to her husband. Subject to her husband. Wives. Submit yourselves, therefore, unto your own husbands. You see, that verse would not have been read had there not been a fall. To the woman, an individualized curse. To the man, in verse 17, and Adam, he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Man, from that point on, wasn't going to start working. He had been working. Work was a blessing to him. He enjoyed work. He enjoyed seeing the fruit of the ground. He enjoyed that. And oh, the ground was so productive. Oh, the Garden of Eden, the, the fruits, the vegetables were just incredible. The likes of which you and I can't begin to even imagine. The closest thing I have is when we lived in Grand Junction. And we'd go and we'd get some of those incredible peaches. Oh, they were glorious. Not the kind of peach you get in the store today. The kind you need to get a jackhammer just to go through it. I'm talking about a peach where you just touch it and it begins juicing. Uh, the closer you get to your face, the more juice comes out of your face. It's incredible. And then you eat it, and more on the ground then gets into you because it just, it just melts all over you. The flavor is incredible. That's nothing compared to the flavors of the fruits and vegetables in the garden. But after the curse, after the curse, no longer was that same productivity. Now Adam had to work hard to keep the ground from getting hard. He had to till, he had to get the weeds out. Oh, that was so difficult now by the sweat of thy brow. You're going to work day after day after laborious day to have enough to survive. We see a family begun. It begins to grow now. In Genesis 4, 1, and Adam knew his Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So Adam and Eve begin their own family. Awesome. There was Adam. He needed to help me. God gave me Eve. They need something else. I know. They need to have children. Because they will not understand life until they have children. They're going to think they're really pretty smart until they have children. All those children are going to teach them some wonderful things. But those kids weren't the same. And they weren't the same. The more kids they had, the more differences they had. You would think out of the same two parents, they would all be little cookie-cutter kids. But they all think differently. They act differently. In verse number 3 of chapter 4, In the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and to the fat thereof, and the Lord had respect unto Abel and his offering. There's some differences in their offerings. Cain 
brought of the fruit of the ground. It doesn't say that, but I'm vegetables, fruits, things that he grew. Nothing special is said about it, and certainly not a blood offering. If perhaps God had instructed them to bring a blood sacrifice as he would thereafter require, just, just some fruits and some vegetables. But Abel, notice, it qualified Abel's offering. He brought the firstlings. doesn't say he brought of his flock. He brought the firstlings, the firstborn, the most precious. That which was closest to his heart he brought as an offering. And it says he brought the fat thereof, meaning the very finest of his flock. So there's a significant difference in the offerings of these two brothers. One was just, just what the ground produced. The other was the very best he could offer. Very best. And we know that, that later on, anyway, there had to be blood, and so possibly that weighs in on the story as well. You see, tragically, one son's who came from originally perfect mom and dad, a rapid decline into sin. Because sin has a way of amplifying in the next generation. You think you're getting by with it, Dad? Kids won't know. It won't affect them. My sin won't affect them at all. I can keep it hidden. Sorry. You're not hiding it from God. And what happens is that, 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 that sin complex in your heart cannot be hidden from your children. Maybe the specific sin is hidden. But that which is done in secret, the Bible says, will be manifest, will, will be made known. And so that weakness will transfer to your children. Perhaps, perhaps you were able to tolerate saying a particular word, and it was an off-colored word. You know you really shouldn't say it around the kids, but you just say it. You're aghast at those words your kids are saying. Why are you talking like that? How could you be so crude to talk like that? We don't talk like that around here. Yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. Verse 5, But unto Cain and to his offering he had no respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. Understand, God was the one that had not respect. And how did Cain respond to God? He got angry at him. Mad at God. Let me just tell you from our little lesson in Genesis, the first book of the Bible, it's not a wise thing to get mad at God. All right? Cain became very angry with God and pouted. Parents, don't you hate it when your kids pout? Hmm. Hmm. You know why you hate it? Because God hates it. Cain's anger was quickly turned into envy. And then murder. How did mankind go so quickly from taking a bite out of a forbidden fruit to murder. Verse, verse 6, And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass, when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. He killed him. One brother killed his other brother. I have no brothers, sisters. I have to confess, there were times I wanted to kill them. But I didn't. I restrained myself. But Cain did not restrain himself. Cain's sin was made worse by lying and sarcasm. In verse number 9, the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Lie. And then he said, am I my brother's keeper? Sarcasm to God. And then Cain's sin was punished in verse 10. 
He said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground, and now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. God punished him. As we continue to read, however, the story does not stop there, because we see one son's spiritual heritage that is rich. Chapter 4, verse 25, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son and called his name Seth. For God, said she, hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. So Seth was born to replace Abel, if you will. Verse 26, And to Seth, to him also there was born a son. And he called his name Enos. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Boy, here in the book of Genesis, things move at lightning speed. You're not careful. You don't realize that sometimes generations have transpired just within the first few verses. So Seth had a son, and they grew up. And under him, under, under son, as they begin to multiply and as, as, as civilization starts to occur, under him, man began to call upon the name of the Lord. Under whom? Under this son, Seth. Man, there's something unique about this son. He is the one leading somewhat of a spiritual revival back to God. I like that. Which could explain why in the New Testament, in the book of Luke, chapter 3 and verse 23, and Jesus himself being to be about 30 years of age, being, as was supposed, the son of Joseph, which was the son of Heli, which begins a number of verses of lineage, to verse 38, which was the son of Enos, which was the son of Seth, which was the son of Adam, which was the son of God. Seth was in the very lineage of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. The family was created perfectly, but plunged itself into sin. God calls his body of believers a family. Look around, folks. We're a family. Like it or not, we're family. God led me to bring the 9 o'clock to the 1030 that we might come together once again as a family because we need each other. Have you noticed within families we don't always get along well with each person, the family members? Have you noticed? Sometimes there's a family member that just, just irritates us somewhat. They just rub our feathers a little bit the wrong way. Perhaps you were a brother and you had other brothers and your early days were just spent fighting with each other. You just fight all the time. Oh, somebody come and threaten one of your brothers and you would fight to the death to protect your brothers. Why? Because there's something special about family. Again, I had sisters. Brothers don't care for sisters. Now, they're a mistake. Unless they get threatened. Ooh, boy, you don't mess with my sisters. No, uh-uh. Why? Because it's family. Hope Baptist Church is family. You don't mess with this flock. You don't mess with and we need to learn to love each other as we are. I would sure love them if they would just, no. You think that's what Jesus did with you? I would just love you if you would just, no. We sing the song, Just As I Am, without one plea. Because that's how Jesus wants us to come to him, as we are. And he says, I love you. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, as you are. Shouldn't we love each other the same way? His family is patterned off his original creation. Where'd that concept come from? To have a church like a family. Where'd that concept come from? Oh, I know. It came from Genesis. Has God created his original family? So I want to take you back to our text now in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19. 
For it says, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners. This is incredible. I don't have a time. I wish I could to spend time on this concept. This is the great mystery that's being revealed. And that is that God brought Gentiles into the family of God. Hallelujah. Gentiles. He says, But fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. What we're seeing here is a great combination. No longer Jew, no longer Gentiles, but one in Christ. A brand new creation. Ultimately, the church of Jesus Christ. All the saved Jews and Gentiles, now part of his family. <laughs> part of his family. Oh, can you imagine the complex difficulties in the mind of the Jews who had spent their entire lifetime with all these rules and regulations and the ordinances and the feasts and all that they had to do? And they looked at those dogs, the Gentiles. We're to be one with them? And the Gentiles looking at the Jews, and they've been calling us names all these years. We're to be one with them. And God says, stop looking at each other and look to me. Because I died to pay for the sins of all mankind. One in me. No longer Jew, no longer Gentiles, but now one in Christ. All blood-washed believers, all on their way to heaven, who spend an eternity at the feet worshiping Jesus Christ. In Ephesians 3, 1, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, Verse 6, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body, the church, and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Here's that verse I emphasized at the beginning. To the intent. <clears throat> to the intent. For this purpose. Don't miss this. The Gentiles, the Jews, no longer individuals. They are now one in Christ. Don't miss this. The revealed mystery, he calls it, is for this purpose. Here it is. To the intent that now under the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. So God's wisdom is so awesome. He wants the world to recognize it. Well, I don't know about you, but have you talked to people in the world recently? <laughs> is everybody on the streets, the people you meet at Walmart, are they saying, wow, isn't God smart? Wow, God's all-powerful. Wow, God knows everything. Wow, God is, is that what you're hearing? I hear God's name quite a bit out there. I hear his son's name quite frequently out there. But I can't tell you the last time I heard it out there in a positive manner. You see, his family, the church, is to testify of God's wisdom. Notice, might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. The church is to broadcast, is to reflect the image of Christ, that the manifold wisdom of God is known to the world around us. But here's what caught my attention. It says, now under the principalities and powers in heavenly places. What in the world? <laughs> powers and principalities in heavenly places? Well, in other places of Scripture, this is talking about spirits. Let's just talk about the spirit world. Don't leave me. I'm not getting spooky here. I'm not getting mysterious. Nothing magical going on here. But God says here's the intent. That his family is to testify of God's wisdom to the spirit world. 
In 1 Peter 1, 12, it says, Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. Listen. Which things the angels desire to look into or to set the heart on, to long to. The angels long to understand this, this plan of redemption. They don't totally get it. Jesus dying for the sins of humanity. The mystery revealed of the no longer Gentile, no longer Jew being one in Christ. They don't understand it completely. But oh, they long to look into it because it means so much to their creator. If he's so blessed by it, we need to be too. The angels don't comprehend it completely, and they want to. They long to understand what it says here. You say, wait a minute. I had a hard time with your preaching. We're supposed to share the gospel with other people. Now you're telling me we're supposed to be a testimony to angels? Whoa, no. Well, first of all, I didn't write it. Good angels, apparently, long to understand the inclusiveness of the gospel. Because you see, the angels, the good angels, have this mindset that they just should submit and obey unquestioningly. God says it, we do it. God says it, we do it. God says it, we do it. And we find such peace and harmony and joy as God says that we do it, God says that we do it, God says that we do it, and the angels watch us. God says it, hmm, I'm not sure. What's in it for me? Maybe I'll get around to it. Or? No. They don't get it. The angels don't get it. How could your creation tell you no, God? How could they put off obeying? I don't get it. The angels don't really get us. In Ephesians 6, 12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Evil angels are incensed by the power of God. They hate it. They hate God. Somehow in their delusion, let's not forget, Satan is the father of lies. They're convinced they're going to win at the end. They're convinced they're going to come out the victors. Oh, do they have a surprise waiting for them. Evil angels incensed by the power of the gospel. And then the passage continues in Ephesians 3, verse 14 and 15. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Family. The family. The family in heaven and earth. Sounds to me a little bit like angels are included in that family. Broadly speaking, the whole family in heaven and earth is named after the Lord Jesus Christ. They all bear his name. It includes all the redeemed, along with apparently his good angels. Now, what would keep us from testifying to the angels? What would keep us from following God's command? So what are some obstacles preventing God's family from testifying? Well, number one, like Adam and Eve plummeted into darkness with their sin, members of God's family today are unable to brightly reflect God's glory to the world around us when they are so darkened by sin themselves. Ephesians 5:27, that he might present to himself a glorious church, not having spot nor wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. That's God's intent. That the church of Jesus Christ might be holy. Holy, not weighed down with all the distractions of the world. The sins and weights that thus so easily beset us. But free to reflect the goodness and glory of God. 
Obstacle number one is a spiritual darkness from sin that keeps us from testifying to God's goodness and glory. In Genesis 3.15, it says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman. Here's this, this war, this lifetime of war with evil. It's the devil's hatred for man. We underestimate how much he hates us. He deceives us into thinking that he's not that interested in us. After all, look around. Life goes on. We go to work. We make money. We buy things. We enjoy each other's company. We go to parties. The devil's letting us do all these things. He's not bothering me. The Bible says he hates you. The devil is attacking members of God's family with a steady assault. Never before have temptations of the flesh been so widespread and accessible. I would never embarrass you, but I wonder what family can honestly say, our family's not been hit by sin. We have nobody addicted to drugs in our family. There's no sexual perversions in our family. There's no gambling problems in our family. We're exempt from Satan's attacks. Satan is morally bankrupting an entire generation through pornography. It's a great blessing. It's amazing what we can do on these things. You can even make phone calls. I, I'm so illiterate when it comes to technology, but Recently, I discovered that I can access all the files on my computer. It's incredible. On this little thing. It's incredible. And I'm told, though I've never done it, I'm told that three simple keystrokes can take you to any unimaginably wicked site. And nobody has to know because it's just between you and your phone. A lifetime of war with the devil. Speech has taken an all-time low. Swear words used to be reserved for private settings. They're now blasted loudly and furiously on the streets and in most TV shows and movies. Lies and deceit have become the accepted commonplace. Salesmen, politicians, even close friends, the truth has become an old-fashioned commodity. The devil is seeking whom he may devour to keep us from testifying of God's greatness. The devil's got you snorting up on drugs kind of hard for you to testify how good a God you have. If the devil has a flourish of swear words every time you get angry, it's hard to convince the people at work that you are a Christian. Have you ever thought about the fact that it's hard to convince the spirit world that you're a Christian? Of those things that you do in secret? Obstacles preventing God's family from testifying, spiritual darkness from sin, a lifetime of war with evil, and then hardships of life. In Galatians 6, 9, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. You see those individual curses, uh, sorrow and childbirth, the ground being cursed. Life's hard. Which one of us could not say, hey, Life's just downright hard. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Lastly, how are we going to get through 2023? Looking back and seeing how quickly things have escalated in the spiritual front. This was not news to God. He knew it was coming. 
He knew COVID would turn the world upside down. He knew that. He knew it would decimate church attendance. And many churches around the world would close. He knew that. How are we going to get through this year? How are we going to get through so that we can testify not only to our neighbors, co-workers, but also to the spirit world? Number one, Ephesians 3.16, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Spiritual strength in the inner man. That's what we need today. Inner strength. Fortitude. Strength in the inner man is what keeps you going when willpower, guts, desire, and emotions all let you down. After Paul was stoned and left for dead, what caused him to go back to the very same city the next day was strength from God in his inner man. The great martyrs that we've read about. Their willingness to stand for Christ regardless of the cost wasn't their willpower. I can do this. I can do this. No. It was strength in the inner man. In Ephesians 3.17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love. We will survive this year through Christ's filling, through faith. He will fill us through faith. And we will then exhale in love. We will be filled with our faith, trusting, believing. And then energized spiritually, we will breathe out love to others around us. Christ dwells in our hearts because of saving faith. He energizes our hearts through faith as well, helping us to exercise our love toward others. Number three, we will survive 2023 because of a comprehension of Christ's infinite love. Do you really know how much he loves you? Do you really know the depth of God's love for you? Verse 18, Ephesians 3 may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, talking about His love. You ever notice that we respond so much better when someone lovingly guides us or directs us? No one loves us more than He does. And as He directs us and commands us and leads us, we ought to willingly follow because of that amazing love. And then last, how are we going to make it through 2023? Well, spiritual strength in the inner man. Christ filling through faith and exiled, exhaled through love. A comprehending of God's amazing, infinite love. And then verse 19, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye may be filled with the all the fullness of God. Here's spiritual maturity. This is growing up in Christ. This is becoming a man in Christ. This is, this is learning to eat the strong meat of the Scripture. This is getting past, oh, I tried again to have daily devotions, but I just can't do it. How are we going to survive this year? By growing up spiritually. I can't understand it completely, but my take on this passage is that we have a great responsibility to those around us to share the gospel. For if we don't tell them, who will? Do you see lots of folks out there sharing the gospel? I don't. But today, I believe that our responsibility has grown and that our testimony is to also be to the spirit world that's trying their best to get us because they so long 
for Jesus Christ to be glorified. Our responsibility to be a testimony for Christ is so much bigger than just sharing Him with others. We are testifying to all of God's creation, the seen and the unseen. So how's your testimony today? Let's bow for prayer. Dear Lord, I thank you for your love, for your patience, so willing to wait for us. And I thank you, Lord, for this time you've given to us here on the first day of January. Lord, a chance to go back and look at how the family began. And then to come to the understanding of what your purpose for the family is. Ultimately, to bring glory to you. So, Spirit of God, would you speak to our hearts right now? In what area has the Spirit of God spoken to you this morning? My guess is that most of us, in one way or another, have felt the Spirit's touch and a conviction in some area of our lives. Would you do business with Him right now? Would you quietly stand to your feet, please? No one looking around. Everyone standing, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I will not delay this invitation, but I don't want to leave right now without giving you a chance to respond to the Holy Spirit. As He's spoken to your heart, would you respond? The altar is open if you want to avail yourself by coming and kneeling, otherwise right where you're at. As you came in this morning, do you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, when you die that you're going to go to heaven? Well, I've got great news for you. Jesus Christ died on the cross a long time ago to pay for the sins of all mankind. And from us, he simply asks that we confess that we are indeed sinners. And by faith, come to him, trusting him to forgive us and to save us. Have you ever been saved? If not, you could in the quietness of this moment. You could confess that you're a sinner to Jesus. And you could tell him that you're coming to him by faith. Trusting him right now. To both forgive you and to save you. And amazingly, he promises that he will. If you only believe. Again, with no one looking around, right before I conclude my prayer, is there anyone here this morning that said, Dear, say, Pastor, I, I did not know coming into here that I'm saved, but right now I prayed and I trusted Jesus. Is there anyone that would raise their hand so I could see it and pray for you? Not by name. And say, Pastor, I prayed that prayer. Would you pray for me? Anyone? Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this sweet time we've had. Continue the work you've begun in our hearts and lives. May you be glorified through our testimonies, for we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated.